1: FOREVER!
0: This episode of The Need to Fail is brought to you by ads. Ads are dumb. I mean, they're great for informing you about products, but they manipulate your brain into thinking that you need them. They convince you that you'll be a happier person when you have them. Because, see, look at all these uh, joyful models and off-brand celebrities using our thing. Hell, don't I sound happy just talking about it? But you know that happiness will go away pretty quickly after buying that thing, and a new ad will come along and make you feel deficient and bad about yourself for not having their product. Damn, ads, you perpetual tricksters, you pokers of insecurities, you shamers of fortune. I love you, I hate you, we need you. <laughs> no, we don't. Ads, a shorter caveman way to say advertisements. Oh, you need to fail sometimes. sometimes you need to fail. The need to fail. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the need to fail for the final time. My name is Don Finelli. That's it. I'm running this thing for the last time here. It's my final episode of this podcast. Uh, Many emotions, many emotions, mostly relieved. it's been a lot of work. I've counted, I think I have like over 300 pages of notes that I put into this thing. Just put in hours of work and, you know, it never really uh, became more than a hobby or a side hustle as the kids say nowadays, as much as I tried. Uh, So I'm going to break this intro down into three parts. Okay. I'm going to thank a bunch of people first. I'm going to give my uh, final thoughts on all this failure podcast crap and then I will introduce my guest, okay? So feel free to skip all this shit as per usual. So yeah, first up, let me thank a bunch of people here. Thank you to uh, Forever Dog uh, for taking a chance on this thing. Uh, Thanks to the various folks at like Vulture and the AV Club for highlighting the need to fail a bunch of times. Uh, Thanks to my friend Anna Rubinova for helping me out uh, towards the end of my run with Forever Dog. She stepped up big time. Uh, Thanks to James, my OG sound dude back in 2013. Thanks to Alejandro, my... uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help, a resource. Uh, Thanks to everyone that emailed me uh, with their stories or took a chance and called the faily fail phone number, which I'll keep active by the way. Okay. Uh, And of course, uh, a huge thanks to all my guests who took the time to talk to me about an issue that's kind of, I guess, uncomfortable to talk about and uh, for sharing your stories, for sharing your methodologies. Obviously, thank you. Thank you, my listeners. Thanks for taking this ride with me, for uh, proving that people do want to hear stories like this. Uh, Specifically, thank you to my Patreon contributors. Uh, You were with me with and without bonus content But uh, you really helped me pay for equipment and my post-production software. We wound up raising almost like $1,000 for Donors Choose over the years, which is a a charity that's near and dear to my heart. So thank you so much. Um, Whether you did it for one month or these last few years, I really am humbled by your generosity. So thank you. And last but not least, thank you to my wife, Laura. Jesus, for putting up with all of this shit. (laughs) Thanks for for being the best mom, uh, best wife, best friend. I love you. So I thought it would be fun, you know, for the final episode, for me to just take a step back and objectively figure out if this podcast about failure was a failure. Okay. So I did something I've never done before, which is look up the actual definition of failure, like the textbook definition or the Google definition Took me over 160 episodes, but here we are. I finally actually looked up the definition of failure. I typed in failure definition into Google. Here's what popped up. Number one, lack of success. What? <laughs> That's the number one. Okay, so the dictionary is telling me, hey, you need to know what success is to know what failure is, okay? So I typed success definition into the Googles, and it said lack of failure. No, I'm just kidding. It said the accomplishment Of an aim or purpose. Okay, the accomplishment of an aim or purpose. That is what success is. So by that definition, failure is the lack of an aim or purpose. Or not accomplishing an aim or purpose. That makes sense to me. Not accomplishing an aim or purpose. Okay, so let's take a look at this. What was my aim of this podcast? Well, I had listenership numbers I wanted to hit. I had Patreon numbers I wanted to hit. I had income numbers I wanted to hit ad numbers I wanted to hit, uh, rating and reviewing numbers I wanted to hit. I wanted to create more relevant bonus content. I wanted to create a community that was more public and interactive. Uh, I wanted to get some more help with uh, production. Um, I had specific guests that I wanted to interview. So those were my aims. Those were my goals. Okay. So overall looking at those I failed. (laughs) I failed pretty miserably. I hit some initial numbers, but man, did it fall off and I didn't get to head, you know, most of the stuff I wanted to do. So I didn't hit my target. So yes, uh, I failed. But what about purpose, right? It said aim or purpose. What was the purpose of this podcast? That's pretty simple. It was to help people, specifically to make people feel less alone when things don't go according to plan for them. Ultimately, a tool of inspiration to kind of keep you moving forward on the path to your goals. So what about that? Did we succeed there? I don't know. <laughs> I've, I've gotten some very nice emails over the years. I've talked to some very fine folks, friends, uh, where that seems to have happened. It seems to have been that source of inspiration, uh, a source of help for them. And and I myself have been inspired after conversations. So maybe a success in that regard, maybe the purpose of this podcast was a success. And maybe this is what I was trying to get at with like my horrible closed loop analogy last week. If you listen to that, like the finite versus the infinite, I think it's maybe more measurable versus immeasurable or quantitative versus qualitative. Like maybe this podcast failed on a quantitative scale, like my aims, but succeeded on a qualitative scale, like the purpose and i maybe the opposite holds true for many of us as well right like sometimes we achieve the measurable thing that we set out to do but then have this feeling of emptiness when we achieve it uh, we've heard it plenty of times on this podcast so that thing gets me to this final place of feeling like i think there's a problem with trying to break down what is a success what is a failure because in this one definition of failure i have two outcomes here and uh it's because there's nuance right like it's always been about nuance and your interpretation of those nuances. You know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Maybe, or maybe you have trauma that you can't overcome. You need to fail to grow. I 100% Agree to that. What about a heart attack, though? Does the heart come back stronger? What about a broken bone? Does the bone come back stronger? Maybe. Maybe it's reinforced. Maybe not. Or maybe the human comes back stronger in the long run because they change their health habits or whatever. Hence why I talked about the importance of distance and perspective when it comes to dealing with failure. And we can nitpick all this shit until we're blue in the face. What I'm trying to conclude in a roundabout ass way is this. Humans, in general... I believe do not like nuance. We see it all the time in arguments and politics, because nuance leads to nowhere a lot of the time—to non-definitions, to the undefinable, not winning, uh, throwing up your hands and saying, "I, I don't know." Yeah, everything's real. Everything's fair. I don't know, uh, because we just kind of want to know. It helps us and hurts us. That's about it, as humans, right? Pleasure or pain, fight or flight, baby. Uh, We don't want to be paralyzed by the many choices we find. We don't want to go down a a rabbit hole of game theory. We don't have time for that. We want to know and we want to fucking know now or give off the illusion that we know what we're doing, what we're talking about. So we know what tribe to run with, right? Because that's safe. Why? Because civilization and society and technology, all this shit has evolved at a much faster rate. Than Homo sapiens could ever keep up with, right? Species evolve over like millions of years. Human evolution happened over a couple million years as we transition from chimps, right? Which we share 99% of our friggin' DNA with, which is insane. Homo sapiens are like 200,000 years old. That's it. Civilization's only about 10,000 ish years old. So, folks, man, we're running on old software. And we can't update it fast enough. There's bugs and malware that uh, McAfee can't fix right now. And this is why empires keep falling And the same wants and desires and fears are present in humans throughout the centuries. Okay, Don, get to the point. I am. I'm doing it right now. I think at its core, failure boils down to this. This primal, deep fear in our souls of being ostracized or isolated. And we can't update the software fast enough to override that shit. Okay, because it's an almost Pavlovian survival instinct at this point. Being kicked out of your tribe meant danger, meant uncertainty, it meant fear, it meant death a lot of the times. We're a social species to the core, and I think that fear of being kicked out or isolated is like the hardest thing to override. I think that's why there's a fear of failure, but also a fear of success as well. Those are two sides of the same coin. Both can feel isolating right? It's lonely at the top and it's lonely at the bottom. But that fear of failure is so strong because we think we are going to be seen as publicly defective, right? A broken toy. That's why we put up all these fronts and have this need to remind people that, hey, we're doing okay, baby. But secretly, man, we're, we're hurting. We're hurting. It's amazing how egocentric we can get when we feel like we failed at something. That like shame, that embarrassment, it just feels so lonely. And we live in a society that rewards individual achievement, that has societal standards. So, of course, it feels like no one else is going through what you're going through when you don't achieve something. And even if people have been through it before, no one understands exactly how you feel in that moment. And so we run from that feeling. We have these hopes, we have these dreams, and we squash them. Anything to run away from that feeling of potentially being seen as defective, therefore of no use. Therefore, ultimately isolated, right? We got to start seeing failure for what it is. We got to accept it. We got to thank it for being useful at times. But you know what? We got to say, I'm tired of you debilitating me from living a goddamn full life. We have to learn how to update the software. So was this podcast a failure? Yes. (laughs) No, I don't know. I can say I didn't hit certain numbers or financially it was not sustainable, but it also motivated me and it taught me plenty of things like the importance of consistency. It made me practice a craft. It made me talk deeply with friends and strangers. It made me think it made me feel, and maybe it helped you folks feel a little less alone. Made you feel connected, safe, not rejected, not broken, not isolated. If you want to live a full life, failure is inevitable. It just is failure's growth, failure's nuanced, failure's a learning opportunity, failure's a way to connect with society, not feel rejected from it. Failure is not an end unless you decide it is. And even then it might not be a failure. Failure's whatever you make of it. You're in control of what you do with your failures. They're yours. They're no one else's. Own that shit. All right, I'm going to come off my high horse and end it with this uh, because I'm sweating my ass off in my car. It's the only place I can record right now. I've taken a deep dive into philosophy lately, okay? That's a whole other podcast, but I highly recommend that you look up the Japanese philosophy of Wabi Sabi because I believe this podcast is very simpatico with the aesthetic of Wabi Sabi. Wabi Sabi, in essence, is uh, the acceptance of the transience and imperfection of life. There is beauty in the imperfect, impermanent, and incomplete Um, This aesthetic can be applied from, I don't know, teacups to landscapes, uh, from people to maybe even podcasts, okay? So I encourage you all to practice a little bit more wabi-sabi in your lives moving forward. The Need to Fail is no doubt imperfect, impermanent, and somewhat incomplete. And I, Don Finelli, am no doubt imperfect, impermanent, and incomplete. All right, thanks for listening. Let's get to the show. Got my boy, Chris Gethard, man. Shit. a so good friend, the teacher. He's my mentor. Uh, this is the third time I'm interviewing him for the need to fail initially interviewed him back in 2012 for my need to fail blog that I had on Tumblr, my first and only interview uh, for that blog. Uh, I did another interview with Abby and Alana of Broad City. Uh, then I got lost in my computer that crashed. That was really fun. But in that first interview, Geth uh, talks about his SNL writing journey. There's some public panic attacks that he talks about. Uh, I then interviewed him again for this podcast back at the end of 2017, I think for episode 28. So now this is Geth in the middle of success. The Chris Gethard show goes to cable, his off-Broadway show Career Suicide's running uh, and eventually becomes an HBO special. He's starring in Mike Birbiglia's movie Don't Think Twice, Beautiful Anonymous starts up. He's got another book deal. So he's riding pretty high in that interview. We also talk about you know failure and he has very insightful motivating uh things to say about that no doubt but now here we are almost 140 episodes later and we're catching chris in a kind of creative valley of sorts although he now lives in a very quaint house with his uh lovely wife and kid in new jersey near a lake which i made horrible big lake jokes to him don't worry Uh, And we really take a deep dive into what is success and what is failure and how we actually think, you know, what we've experienced kind of transcends both of those words. I, I couldn't think of a better way to close this thing out. And I actually had my greatest epiphany about my life choices during this conversation that you hear me talk about towards the end of the interview. It really shut the door on any doubts I had about the career choices I made up until this point. So I had the pleasure of visiting Geth uh, and his family at his home on um, my stopover in Jersey recently. Uh, we were tested prior. We did the whole social distance thing. Don't worry. Uh, but we had this really long conversation standing on the opposite ends of a floating dock in the middle of his lake. You know, watching our kids playing the shallows with our wives, and it was just lovely. And and you'll hear us reference that. Uh, We also switched uh, with our wives at one point and we're playing with our kids and Geth could not stop talking about the Gurkhas, this Nepali special forces unit, which pretty much sums Geth up, you know, deep existential crisis combos right into sharing passionate Gurkha stories. (laughs) I Genuinely, genuinely love this dude. Uh, check out Geth's podcast, Beautiful Anonymous, on Earwolf. Uh, he most recently crushes it in Netflix's uh, Space Force alongside Steve Carell and John Malkovich. Uh, still rocking out, Chris Gethard presents on Planet Scum on Wednesday nights. Hey, let's get to it. It's the final interview, it's with Chris Gethard.
1: Honey, give Well, it's interesting because I've been thinking about coming back on. Yeah. It's pretty wild because we spoke in 2017 and, you know, I think a lot 2016 and 2017 were such crazy years for me by far yeah. the most success I've had. And mm-hmm. I, I fought for, I mean, 2016 is when I feel, you know, when I feel like the dam really broke because the get the show career suicide, don't think twice. That was all in the same year. And then I got that book yeah. deal all in the same year. That's crazy.
0: Felt like the pinnacle. Like you worked up to that point. Yeah. For you You're put many in years. so much fucking word
1: working. I know. At that point. And, and then I had a, you know, the show got canceled and my book missed and now I'm hosting a show on Twitch for 120 people <laughs> and I like doing it, but it's definitely interesting. I, I tell you, Don, I have like, well, I have this dialogue. I have it in my head almost every day where I feel like, Oh, I'm totally irrelevant now. I was just thinking today about how like there's comedians who I really like lately where mm. I go, oh, they're doing the coolest shit. And then I realize they're probably like 26. Yeah. <laughs> and then I go, well, of course I'm not as relevant as someone who's 26. And when I started doing comedy in New York, they were in first grade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and and I have a lot of these young comedians like Sarah Squirm from Hell Trap Nightmare, someone who I think is great. She does such interesting stuff. And the first time we met, she like quietly leaned over and was like, I just want you to know, I grew up in Long Island and I used to watch your public access show every week and I tried to intern for you guys. I was like, that's amazing. That's amazing to hear that I th- like, and I've heard that a lot that people were watching, especially the public access show, that a lot of young comedians watched it. Before they yeah. decided to go for it, I think that's cool. But I remember who the forty-year-old guys were when I was twenty. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I remember that I thought a lot of them were super funny. I don't know if I thought they were cool. Mm-hmm. And I'm there, and it's, <laughs> well, but it's, it, but then I feel, I, I feel so much stress and anxiety about it, and, and then I tell myself, I feel like such a failure still, and then I go I had an HBO special. Yeah. I had 47 episodes of my show on cable Mm -hmm. over 200 when you count public access. Yeah. Um, But 47 episodes on cable, Mm -hmm. even if we just say that HBO special, 47 episodes of a show with my name on it, on cable.
0: Yeah.
1: Bunch of TV shows, parts on two books, three books, three books all before I was 40.
0: Yeah. And I
1: sit here and go, and you visited my new house. It's, I never dreamed I would live in a house like this. Yeah. And then I'm still sitting here feeling these feelings of inadequacy. Mm. And then you and I were laughing at the beginning. It's like I have all this stuff and I have a beautiful son and, and wife and I've done all these things and I'm proud of them. And yet about, what, three weeks ago, a month ago, you and I were randomly doing a show together on Zoom Forget yeah, we were, was, uh, yeah, was. we were
0: doing, uh, we were doing the George Lucas show. Yes, we were doing, we, we were doing, um, uh, yeah. Fizzy, <laughs> fizzy boys, boys, a fizzy boys reunion show.
1: <laughs> yeah. And we were, we were texting beforehand Yeah, and it's kind of serendipitous because I mean, you are, you are one of the people I, I, out of anyone I've met through comedy, you're one of the people who I remain closest to. Mm-hmm. And I feel like every time I go to LA, you're really the first person mm-hmm. I make sure, you know, I'm coming. Yep. I feel like anytime you're on the East Coast, we find time. So you texted me that day of like, and it was literally like, Oh, it's like to drink some soda again. Mm-hmm. And I wrote back and was like, Don, I got to warn you. <laughs> I'm having uh, right now all day today. I've been having a breakdown and, and was actually making arrangements to commit myself to a hospital. Yeah. And I I wound up not doing it because my shrink got on the phone with me in the middle of the night, but like,
0: yeah, you were there.
1: I was right there. And then I think I was thinking about coming on this podcast and how you and I spoke about that. And I'm like, man, when it really doesn't go away, Mm. like success doesn't solve failure. If that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. What are your questions? (laughs) (laughs)
0: That's such a good like bust into like an intro song right there.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I was I was I was worried about you and yeah. I hadn't I hadn't um I don't know if it's I hadn't been in contact with you enough to know maybe you've been in that place before, but it feels like you haven't been in that place in a long and time.
1: Years in I, yeah. I would say a solid eight years. Yeah. I would say a solid and, eight years since I felt that bad.
0: Yeah, I was, I was, I was, uh, I was worried about you, and I just wanted to make sure you were, you're okay. And um, yeah, and you checked in a few times, man. It was nice of you. Of course, I mean, yeah, (laughs) you're my friend, man. Like you were going through some shit, and and I think it's a beautiful thing that you said. Like success doesn't solve uh, failures. It's it's not a
1: one to one. It's not. They're not equal. No, it's, it's not like a kid's toy where it's like there's a round hole and if you can find the peg that fits it, the hole is plugged. Yeah. It's not, That's the system's more complex than that, it turns out. And it's wild because I'm someone who spent, you know, have spent 20 years in this and I can feel it winding down, at least in the form that it's been. I don't know what the future holds for the first time in my life. I'm going to be a creative person, but I don't know what. And it's, it's, it's very wild to think about it right now. But
0: I don't know if you did this or I dreamt it, but I feel like you posted something like recently where you were almost like, I think I'm like done with this stuff for a little while. Dude. And yeah. It felt like you were kind of like, I moved to New Jersey and I'm just going to kind of have this life. You also texted me. I don't know if you want me to say this, but like, <laughs> there's a farm nearby and I think oh, yeah, I want to be a stock bring it boy up. there. <laughs> well, it's, it's. And I passed by that farm and, dude, you should do it. I told you to do it before and then I saw the farm. It's a beautiful farm.
1: Like, it's a beautiful farm. What do you need? You need somebody to pick corn? Show me yeah. how. Well, yeah. it's, well, here's the thing. It's like when I was uh, 16 years old, my number one goal in life was to get an article published in Weird New Jersey magazine. Mm-hmm. And then I eventually co-wrote Weird New Jersey and Weird U.S. of the books and wrote Weird New York. That was when I was twenty-four. Mm-hmm. I had written Weird New York by then. Yeah, I started at UCB. My goal was to get on a Harold team. Mm-hmm. Seven years later, I was a guest writer at SNL, mm-hmm. and all these years later, I've been on music, movies and TV. So, you know, I, I set out. I wanted to do a talk show, and my talk show was never huge or mainstream it was what it was and it was what I intended it to be. And I'm really proud of it, but it's like, let me fuck around and see if I can do a talk show at UCB 47 episodes on cable with my name on it. Yeah. And I'm not even 40 at that point. So what I'm figuring out is like, I think I am someone who's been able to set goals that are very realistic. Mm -hmm. And then what I'm finding is that maybe sometimes I have, um, underestimate it myself and exceeded mm-hmm. those goals sooner than I thought. But I'm also someone who really enjoys a dog fight of trying to make yeah. things happen. Right. But it's like, when I set out to do this, I wanted to do a few things and I wanted to do them my own way. And nobody yeah. can argue that I've done that exponentially larger than I, I, I should have been able to. And, right. uh, you know, I think a lot later, and I'm not comparing myself to these people, but I'm like, you know, like, what the fuck happened to, like, Catherine Zeta-Jones? <laughs> you haven't seen her in a movie in a while. She's really, really talented, brilliant. Where's she been? What's she doing right now? What do these people do when they're done? You know what I mean? I think that was a good example. Unless she's been doing all sorts of stuff I don't know about. But you know what I mean? You think about it. Like There was a point when Molly Ringwald was the actor to play a young person. And then it was done. And she was probably 30. Yeah. You know, Winona Ryder, when she showed up in Stranger Things, there are all these think pieces of like, holy shit, Winona Ryder's back. Like She's not retirement age. Right. We're working in this industry where you tend to like, Hustle for nothing, hustle for nothing, and then burn really bright, really fast for a short period of time. And then you're largely done. And I'm smart enough to know that. Yeah. And I've tried to pivot in a few other directions that haven't totally worked. And yeah, there's a farm near my new house and uh, <laughs> they have a Help Wanted sign up front. And I've thought seriously about calling them and being like, what kind of help? I'll work two or three shifts a week. I still, I'm lucky I have my podcast. It pays the mortgage for now. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. so I'm like maybe I'll just work really hard on keeping that going and trying to keep that healthy I work one day a week on it and then pick up some shifts at the farm or I got really into the idea of like I'd love to work just the cash register at a comic book store I love comic books yeah I'm at that point where I'm like maybe I should just do something like that for a few years and see what happens but then I'm sitting here going is this just low self-esteem am I underestimating myself again I don't know
0: I think the tough thing with all of this is relying on what you did in the past and your work ethic of the past and where opportunities led you like in the blog you were telling me about SNL right and you were telling me about you worked there for 2 weeks and then you put in a packet thinking about uh, this is maybe this is what they yeah. want to hear right I got the inside and track yeah so you figured out after all these years that you have to do it all yourself in a way like you have to surround your people like-minded people and you have to kind of like Hey everybody, this is the B-Man, O B W, from the World Record Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that me and my co-host, the A-Train, a.k.a. Hershey Hellman, took over Office Hours Live this week. We came into the studio. We made it our own. We wrecked the place. I stole one of Tim Heidecker's guitars. So check out Office Hours Live on your podcast app of your choice or at youtube.com slash office hours live this week and see what happens or go to worldrecordpodcast.com and you can watch the videos or join the Patreon, patreon patreon.com backslash worldrecordpodcast. Enjoy the show!
1: It's showtime!
0: Work in a vacuum, I think you said, and do your best work there and just kind of put the blinders on and like do what you think is fun. I think... You have to get to a point where maybe you do need other people's help, right? Like you got so used to doing it all yourself, and now you get to a point you're like, one maybe tired, exhausted. uh, You know what I mean? And
1: a totally different person. Yeah, right. A completely different human being. I don't hate myself every day. (laughs) I, I I would never today go on public access television. And bring a kickboxer, a professional kickboxer, legitimately a man who's had professional Muay Thai fights, to beat the shit out of me on TV. I wouldn't do that today. <laughs> right, I'm a different right. human being, and I'm exhausted.
0: Yeah, but yeah. that's what I'm saying. I think I think the DIY punk attitude gets to a point where you do get older, you get more tired, and your life changes enough where it's like maybe you just need to float a little bit in your fucking lake for a hot second. And trust that maybe be, there will be another opportunity or just take an exhale at a certain point point, yeah, and enjoy your present moment and just see what happens and not put the pressure on yourself to like, I got to create again until that instinct happens. That's also something that
1: you yes. taught
0: me, which yes. is like reliant- hitting that moment, you're like, I got to do something. Like you, I felt like you have your, ebbs and flows of life and maybe you realize this or don't realize this where you have this instinct where you're like now i need to create and i think you're just at a bottom You're at the valley right now where you can and also beautiful anonymous was kind of a side thing for you you spent years doing a show with your fucking name on it then you do beautiful anonymous beautiful anonymous becomes the thing that the, you're doing regularly that helps pay the fucking
1: more and mortgage. that i never saw coming and where the audience is a coming. comedy audience mm-hmm. like i i spent years earning this other audience of like college kids and freaks and punks with blue mm-hmm. hair and then all of a sudden beautiful anonymous is like in a really lovely way i i just had a just literally had a marketing meeting 78% of my audience is females in their 30s and 40s. It's just not what I built Mm -hmm. over time. And I love it. I love it. I love it. And I love that I get to speak to them. And I love, I actually feel so inspired that my whole thing for years was like, the system does not want to pay attention to anybody. You got to fight through everything. A lot of people are just feeling fucking shitty in the world. And I was speaking to a lot of like college punk type kids. And then it's like, oh, who feels that more in modern history Mm-hmm. than young moms, who else mm-hmm. feels like not listened to and fucking cast aside historically more than housewives and they're rallying behind the same message I've kinda always had, just delivered in a different ways, yeah,
0: but it's also you the you can also look in deeper to the pathos that you bring to things, so you can have this external fight the system chip on shoulder yeah. you know fuck the man like let's do it ourselves thing but at the bottom of it all is your willingness to be in a moment and be vulnerable and i think that's attractive so it's like oh i can't believe i did all this shit and then beautiful Anonymous is the thing that got me but you you are bringing what you've always done yeah do you know what i mean it's it's just it's there's just nothing I think it's like that The punk and whatnots that shit's on the surface. What's at, behind it is who you truly are, which is like I'm willing to open myself up uh, and be vulnerable in front of people and maybe say some things that will either make you uncomfortable, make you feel something to your core, right? So that you're bringing the same thing. It just maybe you were forcing it a little bit more in one area with the talk show with the kind of creating a cadre of like minded nut jobs and had that Howard Stern mentality, yeah right, and you thought you're like, this is perfect for me, but at the core of that right, like well, you know what was it's exactly that's why howard stern does such fucking good interviews yes you know what i mean yeah he he it's it's what's behind all of that shit any of course he evolved well it's always
1: been i don't care if it's like we're gonna throw baloney at hank the angry drunken dwarf if you're a real (laughs) fan of howard stern what you like is like oh robin went off on baba buoy today that's what brings Mm -hmm. you back way more than the stunts ever did and now there's less and less of that stuff and you're still just have oh this is like a family on the radio but you, yeah, know what, right. you know what really rings true about what you're saying is like, in one sense, my TV show failed. Mm-hmm. It cracked out, but nothing goes forever. And 47 episodes, a lot more than than most shows get. But in another sense, I think back to it and it's like, I was 29 when I started the Chris Gethard show. Yeah. And I think I was 38 when it died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did it for nine years. Mm -hmm. and then in the middle of that, 2016, two years before the show goes away, Beautiful Anonymous hits, and like you said, it's the same thing at the core, but what was very hard for me to realize in the moment and for me to accept was like, yes, you're the same person, and yes, you have the same mentality and the same goals. When you're 29, 25-year-olds are gonna look at you and go, fuck yeah, that guy's the guy leading the charge for people like me. When you're 36... Mm -hmm. it's going to be a different group of people and you can't be one thing forever. You shouldn't want to be. Did you have a trouble
0: getting to that point though? You know what I mean? Did you realize that in the moment or was that like, I'm looking back now, I'm like, oh yeah, I was trying to appeal to young 20-somethings.
1: Well, yeah, you know, I was very, it was just sort of like, once we got to cable, like up until we got on cable, the show could evolve and be whatever it wanted to be. UCB, Mm -hmm. it was one thing. Public access, it went through many different iterations. Here's what we're focused on now. Some of it's mm-hmm. the more fucking violent stuff. Some of it's more stunt-driven stuff. Some of it's the emotional stuff. Cable, it's like, it is what it is. It's mm-hmm. locked in now what it is. It can't evolve anymore. And right. I was still evolving. So the Gethard Show, I mean, you were there for, for the formative parts mm-hmm. of it, deep into it. And it was, it was the most important thing to me in the world. Yeah. It was this thing that all of a sudden we captured lightning in a bottle and it was like, yeah, this, this is how my brains always worked. Yeah. And I've always been good at improv, but I've always had this other side of myself that was a little more fucked up and angry. And this show is Mm -hmm. now it's capturing it, and people are actually fucking responding. And Mm -hmm. now it's on, and now it's a public is unfolding naturally. So it's like, and then along the way, The people who are coming to do it, starting with you, Will, and Shannon, and Bethany, and then along the way, we get Murph, we get Ben, and it keeps unfolding, and fucking, you know, the more professional, you know, public access, I'm the first person to put Conor O'Malley on TV, public access, Mm -hmm. but it counts. Joe Perra, (laughs) I believe, I'm not certain on that. Like, all these people, all these people you see doing shit, you can go back and look at the show, and then we get to a point where I can actually hire people, I believe I gave Joe Firestone her first writing job, Julio Torres his second, Anna Fabri like all these people I'm so proud I worked with down the line. I mean, I could just list more and more and I'm not saying right. that to brag and I'm not saying that to take any credit for them, but I'm saying it was, it really was like, um, this tidal wave where I felt like I was this, I was a person who did not feel like a natural fit. In the world I was dwelling in, and then all of a sudden I started basically shouting that to the hilltops, and all the other people felt that way, flocked to it. Yeah right, for years. Right. So yeah, walking away from that and feeling like you are home for the first time is hard. Because yeah. the Gethard show was a safety net for me and an umbrella where I felt um accepted and safe. I was building this thing where all these other people felt accepted and safe, and that's one of the things people loved about it. But they never totally understood like, oh, I need it probably as much or more than any of you, Mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so leaving that nest, it was definitely a comfortable nest, but it's also like, how much longer am I going to trap myself in a cage and have a hundred pounds of human hair fall on me? That's one of the things we did in one of our late era episodes on true TV. And I'm like, it's really funny, but if this show was still allowed to evolve, I'd be making it more conversational. There'd be less mayhem the color scheme even. I remember thinking like the color schemes, like all these bright neon-y color, it would be more subdued. And then you think about what I'm describing. I'm like, oh, it's Beautiful Anonymous is that. Beautiful Anonymous is something that's <laughs> way more, it takes all the stuff I still loved about it, but it's relaxed yeah. it's subdued stuff. So. But it's hard, man. I guess at the end of the day, it's hard to grow up. And it's hard to realize, oh, I built this bubble to keep people like me safe. But I'm not one of those people anymore. You also
0: stopped feeling safe in that bubble, I think.
1: I think, it, well, it felt very forced in that bubble. But I'm yeah, like, right. I remember Manzukis pulled me aside one year at the Del Close Marathon. He's like, and Manzukis has always had my back heart. He's like, I just want to put it out there, dude. The underdog thing isn't going to work too much longer. Mm. And I was like, but that's mm. that's always how I I still fucking feel it. He's like, it doesn't matter if you feel it because people understand now that you're making money off what you do And Mm -hmm. also you married your band leader and she's pretty fucking hot, man. Like, (laughs) I don't know if anybody's going to look at you and go, man, that guy's a real underdog. And it it proved really true. And I've had to learn to drop the underdog thing. But then here's another question I've done is how I think here's where my real struggle is. And you're helping bring it to the surface Mm -hmm. is like, I know I'm not an underdog. People loved career suicide And hearing that I was like this depressed guy who had to keep taking his lumps and getting back up. And Mm -hmm. I'm not that guy anymore. Mm -hmm. But I also don't want to pretend that I don't feel really scared a lot of the time. Yeah. And sometimes I feel like I have to bite my tongue about that or apologize for it.
0: But don't you feel like you can be an underdog in your personal life and not have it be public? Meaning, can't you feel like the underdog all the time? And if that drives you if that's your like motivating factor and that gets you angry and active but my work has
1: always been about being profoundly honest yeah right and being profoundly honest now does inherently entail trying to explain that i feel so fucking great about my life and it turned out in a way that's like a miracle compared to where I thought I'd be fucking yeah. dead by 40. Are you kidding? I bet most, <laughs> you probably did too at certain points, you know, most I'm gonna be of honest, my friends. I think
0: so. Yeah. There was some, there were some scary points. Sure.
1: Yeah. I turned out great. My kid rules. I live in a good house mm-hmm. in a nice night way, nicer section in New Jersey than I grew up in. Like, but how do I wear my heart on my sleeve and have anything interesting to say? And then I have these moments where I go, maybe i don't have anything interesting to say and then sometimes that fills me with panic and then sometimes it feels like the sweetest release mhm like right. oh i went and did it all and i won I, I set out to do these things where i thought i was going to lose but yeah. i won right and i met all You these said people you were losing along,
0: along the way too
1: <laughs> and i did i we just kept kind of losing and but owning it and then it turned out but it's really true How many times did fucking people say they were gonna buy the Gether Show and then not? I mean, behind the scenes it happened so often. And then it kept just working.
0: But this is what it comes down to though. Like what is success, what is failure, right? You could have looked at all those things as minor failures and you can you can come out of it, you know, like fucking Bojack Horseman sitting on his little in his pool. You know what I mean? Just
1: just floating around, being like Jesus. I'll tell you, can I give one piece of advice about what is success and what is failure? And here's another thing, a sense of- You can thing. give more than one. Well, because <laughs> here's another thing that you and I talked about during our recent visit. And we were yeah. on a- we were
0: standing thing. on a dock. You know exactly what
1: I'm about to say. We Think found so. it, and the dock was wide enough that we could socially distance. You were in That's one corner, right. I was the other. We were the only two yep. people on it at the time. Mm-hmm. But here's where I fucked up. Because I went to war. And mm-hmm. if anybody who's close to me Anybody who ever worked with me, and you didn't need to even be that close with me. If you came out of New York <laughs> when 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 all this shit was forming, people knew I'm a real nice guy and I'm pretty mild-mannered, but ask anybody who ever took an improv class with me. Mm-hmm. I was going to war <laughs> with the fuck anything that felt like the powers that be, starting at UCB's powers that be, the entertainment mm-hmm. industry, I didn't like it. I still don't like it. I think it exploits yeah. artists. I think it doesn't reward the best stuff and I think there's a lot of people who make a lot of money being professional middlemen that mm-hmm. are leeches on artists. I felt that stuff mm-hmm. so strong I still do. Yeah. Yeah. So I fought this fucking war for years.
0: Yeah, you were you were saying this for a very long time, probably since I met you. A lot of not, fucking, y- not only about like the UCB system as a whole, but like
1: the entertainment systems, industry,
0: the entertainment and the fucking industry, yeah.
1: world and the world, <laughs> man. <laughs> right. I've known since a young age that fucking being a good person doesn't keep you fucking ahead in this world. I've saw that from day one where I yeah. grew up the way I grew up. I saw it. Yeah. Yeah. So I was angry from the fucking start, man. And terrified <laughs> from the start.
0: Yeah.
1: And here's the thing is like, I have people in my life tell me like, you know, you did all that shit before you're 40. That's You're really successful at it, man. Mm -hmm. And I can intellectually step back and say, yeah, objectively, I met Mm -hmm. with more success than I thought I ever would, probably more than I deserved, you know? But here's the thing. Here's the advice I'll give along the way. What is success? What is failure? Well, you and I started talking as part of this project when I had very little success and a lot of stress. And then we talked in the middle of the success. Mm -hmm. And now we're post probably at the height of it. Yeah. Yeah. Really right at the height of it. As I was processing that all of a sudden Mm -hmm. having money, you know, real money and figuring out how do I fucking make this last my whole life? You know, like what can I do real success? And now I'm on the other side of it. And here's where I fucked up, man, is I, I convinced myself that the other people in the trenches fighting that war were my friends. Mm-hmm. And I undervalued the word friend and what it means mm-hmm. because, and I'm not trying, this, this is an analogy. Being a comedian is not fucking hard. Okay. I'm not a real soldier in a real war. I understand that, right? The whole dialogue that comedy is so fucking hard It's like, it's a challenging, it's a challenging (laughs) industry, but let's not, we're not fucking coal miners.
0: Yeah. It's a challenging industry if you, even if you have talent.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. It's a crapshoot. The most talented people in the world still have to stress. Two plus two
0: doesn't equal four. It's a mind fuck sometimes. Yep.
1: At the end of the day though, we're all blessed that we even get to try. And I know that. But to continue the analogy now that I've laid out that I'm respectful that it's not a real war no platoon gets home and then wants to fucking hang out with each other again. You know what I mean? Those band of brothers guys had reunions, what like 40 years later or whatever. I don't know for sure, but I read the book and loved the show. Sorry, Connor. Sorry, Connor. I fucking love band of brothers, but you know what I mean? Everybody's left with their own experience, their own scar tissue, and they go in different directions and a lot of love. Bethany Hall and Keith Haskell are on their way to my house right now to visit Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. two people who I love. They live 20 minutes away. We're still going to see each other. You and I still connect. Mm -hmm. People who have followed my work and who understood that I viewed it so much as a family environment would be, and I'm not going to name names because it would be disrespectful. They'd be shocked at the people who I never hear from. Right. Even who I've reached out to. Mm -hmm. And they'd be shocked at the people who once... Once the experience was over. Mm -hmm. Started treating me in a way that was um, a little mean. Even in one person's case. And again, not naming names. And I worked with everyone. You can't watch the show and guess because I worked with fucking hundreds of people over the years. But
0: But it makes you emotional though, thinking about it. I can see it. It does.
1: Yeah. Because I convinced myself that creative allies are friends and that's the advice mm-hmm. I give to anybody. Cause I'm proud of my success and I know I'm successful. And I was your first blog interview and I, <laughs> this is the last podcast. This is it, man. This is so, the final one. So I get that it's full circle and it's like, yeah, I fought, I fought. You can track the whole thing through Don's podcast and you can hear where I was at. And, and and the success happened and I'm fucking psyched that this has happened. But I, I think the reason that I'm on the other side of it and still having these feelings of like I fucking I checked every box that I wanted to check why do I still not feel satisfied why mm-hmm. am I still feeling this anxiety it's because I mistook creative allies as friends and they're different things yeah and
0: meaning you, then you don't have meaningful some the 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 meaningful relationships you thought you had were based on something else
1: I always had it in my mind of there's all these people who think I can't succeed and I'm going to prove them wrong. And I did prove them wrong. Mm-hmm. And here's two things I learned along the way. There weren't that many of those people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, yeah. I, and I may have mentioned a lot this. less
0: people than you think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I may have mentioned this in one of our previous conversations. Cause I realized this a few <laughs> years ago, but it's like this whole, like I'm going to prove them wrong. It's not yeah. really them. It's not really them. And yeah. like, you know and then word gets back to me like the childhood bullies from my neighborhood who i still hate like word got back to me there's a, there's one guy who i legitimately if he walked in front of my car i'd hit the gas i hate this person and i don't say that about many people and then word got back to me that a friend of mine who who still lives in our hometown was in a bar and i it was this was many many years ago an episode of conan popped up and i was doing a bit on conan so this was fucking 18 17 years ago And the kid was like, that's our fucking boy from the hood, man. That's our boy from the block. I'm Mm. like, oh, so the guys I hate are just taking like small amounts of quiet pride in me. Those are the people I'm there proving wrong. But it's like, I was fighting this war in my mind. And I went out and I did prove them all wrong. And I won at all the things I wanted to do. And now I go, well, who fucking cares? Because I got Mm. no friends. And that's what you and I were talking about on the dock. Because yeah. I was telling you some of these people's names, and I think you would agree with me. People who watched my work over the years and perceived these as familial bonds yeah. would be shocked at how some of these things have gone. One or two yeah. in particular. And it's thrown me for a real loop. Well, and, what's your advice on, on then how to, what would you have done differently? Here's what I would have done differently. If you're a creative person, we all know, you one you one hundred percent do unquestionably have to go all in. You're not going to make it mm-hmm. if the if the if the next person over is working harder than you are, they deserve it more. Mm-hmm. So by all means, go all in. But um, like your friends in high school who are insurance salesmen, or your yeah. ex your ex girlfriend from college who's a really good person who has a couple kids now, and it was an amicable breakup and you're just psyched that you're still in each other's lives Mm -hmm. or, you know, your cousin who's around your same age touch base with them. Yeah. I didn't do that enough. And now I'm kind of left with a very, very happy life and a very real sense of accomplishment at the age of 40, (laughs) wondering what the fuck to do with the rest of my life and also wishing that I had shared it with more people along the way. And also don't fuck up the friendships you have, man. Because I want to also be clear, I'm sitting here going some of these people walked away from me, but I've, I've done it to other people. I've done it to yeah. other people. I'm an idiot, yeah. I want to say admittedly that I'm a fucking idiot with bad <laughs> social graces. And I was a fucking weirdo growing up and I've always been uncomfortable socially and because of that, like I got friends who when they had kids I didn't buy them gifts. And we're not friends anymore. And now I have a kid and I'm like, oh, that's why we're not friends. I've always wondered why this person, why we're not as close as we used to be. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah.
0: I think it's less about the gifts and more about the interest in their kids, probably. It's in
1: the interest in the life development. It's in the interest in we're evolving people and I'm rooting for you along the way. Yeah. And a lot of us who are creative go, my goals get before everything else. And what I would say is that there is a happy medium where you can do that. And, and, and I think many of my favorite people who I know in entertainment do do this already. But I think there's also a ton of people like me where it's just like, I'm a good guy and we're fucking pals, but you don't understand, man. Everybody Everybody's fucking doubting me, so I got to go. There's a friend of mine who I skipped his wedding to go do the Just for Laughs Festival. Now, the Just for Laughs Festival, very important festival to many comedians. Do I regret skipping his wedding? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing came out of the Just for Last Festival for me. I missed right. my friend's wedding, and we're not tight anymore. It sucks. Good friend of mine. Yeah. And I've apologized to him, and he's been like, ah, dude, shit happens. And he's right. like, "I'll always have your back, and I know you'll always have my back." But yeah, we but we used to hang out three times a week when you lived. in I'll
0: New say York. this though: I bet you, if something even did come out of that just for laughs, you might still feel the same way you do in a macro sense of where you are right now.
1: Well, it's the thing you can't perceive when you're in it, right? Because right. if I had skipped that just for laughs, I'd be sitting here forever wondering what I've gotten a fucking <laughs> yeah, right. sitcom deal. What I yeah, got yeah, poached yeah, by yeah. some high level agent? I'd be wondering forever. But now I'm on the other side of the success. So I can kind of report back and say, it didn't matter. It's your friend. Yeah. It's your really Mm -hmm. good friend. You hang out three times a week, you go to his wedding. Yeah. I'm sitting there going, he's a comedian too, and he'll get it. And he did. But also, that's the end of something. And that's on me. Yeah. And I've done that to people, and I've now had people do that to me. And I have the extra added head trip of going, it's hard not to be a little paranoid and think that I was in a position where I funded a little economy. 70, 80 people had jobs through me for years with my cable show. Right. Right. Most of them I think are people who are very uh, appreciative of that. And then some of the people want nothing to do with me now when I thought we were going to be tight forever. And it's like, You know, hard not to be paranoid and go, ah, I don't have money to hand out anymore. Is that why we were friends? I don't know. I don't want to assume the worst of people. But then I sit there and go, is it something about me? Is it something about me?
0: But we've always said behind the the scenes that, you know, listen, and I'll say it again. I'll say every fucking episode that UCB, you're finding your people. That's where you're finding your collaborators it technically brought us our wives, you know, like we're our, our oh, like big time. I swear I met my wife, you know what I mean? Like it at this, we have a kid because of UCB, but we also said on the dark side of it is like, you don't totally know who to trust. You're kind of all in this thing together and you're all using each other at a certain point. Right. And it's hard to know who you're, you're, you get close with and especially you can go the distance with some folks and, and still come out of it and go like, wow, I didn't really know you, you know? And it's it's a it's a it's a there's such good about it and there's such you know not good about it and and it's it that's a mind fuck especially a place an institution that you kind of love so much you see all the faults of it as well but the people sometimes like that's just kind of how it is like sometimes people just use other people and we've done it too you know what i've done it too and
1: i don't think it's malicious in the moment
0: no, 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 exactly. That's the thing. I think it's the culture of what it is. It's, I think it's the culture of being in a creative community. Yes. Because and you're all being like, who's doing it? What's want to do? You want to do it? Who's working hard? Let's stay up yeah. to two. Who's like, setting
1: the bar? Can I meet the bar? Can I set yeah. it higher? Mm-hmm. But you right. get there and now, you know, I'm I'm back in Jersey now, dude. And I'll tell you, I'm like reaching out to some old friends. Yeah. And I'm saying like, hey, I'm back in Jersey. Let's meet up. Let's go get a, you know, let's go get a meal together. Come by my house. Yeah. And I'm sitting here realizing when I started this, I was 19. Yeah. And I was still in touch with all these people. And in my perception the whole time, I'm sitting here going, this is for them. Mm
0: -hmm. This
1: is for me and my friends in high school who were the fucking like, weirdos in my friend Carson's basement because his parents let us have a drum set down there. We'd hang out all night. We'd listen to records. This is for me and my brother who fucking spent, you know, spent our whole childhoods fucking dodging bullies and like really getting our asses whipped sometimes. You know what I mean? Like this is for my friends in college who we all lived together and they were all like really funny, creative people who, said, no, we got to get real jobs. Like I'm out here trying to represent all the people I knew on the way up who felt pushed around and held down like I have. And on some level, that was the fucking war I was fighting. And, And like I said, I won the war. But now I'm reaching out to these people and I'm realizing, oh, but from their perspective, they're like... I haven't really heard from you that much in 15 years yeah. <laughs> and I've been like happily managing a restaurant for 11 years and I let all that shit go. And I got a, I got a dog and a girlfriend now and we're like, yeah. we go we're really into camping and stuff. Like, I haven't been thinking about this this whole time. You've right. been thinking about this this whole time. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, I mean, I guess they're cliches, right? When you feel like you get to the top of where you're going to go. I certainly didn't hit the top of the entertainment industry. But as far as how I was- Checking off
0: boxes, though. Yeah. You checked off a lot of boxes.
1: And look, as far as someone who said, I'm never going to move to LA, I'm never going to do pilot season, and I will demonstrate active distaste for people (laughs) in the entertainment (laughs) industry, even while pitching to them, I think I reached the top of that mountain. (laughs) <laughs> that I, I mean, I set the mountain pretty low, but it's like lonely at the top, you know? And then yeah. <laughs> as far as the people who I worked with, I'm on the way down now, right? And yeah. how do they treat you on the way up versus how do they treat you on the way down? And I see the people who never gave a shit where it was just a special thing for us to all be in it together. Yeah. I can see it and feel it. And then right. some of the others, I feel... Like, oh, I wonder if I'm ever going to hear from you again, and I'm shocked by that. But I've done it too.
0: Is this a different level of, I guess, failure? Your what you've never wavered on is your advice on getting used to failure. Like, the only way to succeed is to understand that it's there, that it's going to happen, and get comfortable with it. Are you taking your own advice at all at this point? Like, do you feel like you failed in that regard? And is it a different? Is it different? You know what I mean? Is it a different failure in a way or?
1: Well, it's, uh, here's the thing is this is the third time we've talked and this is the first one that's ever actually an analysis of success. I don't think we're talking about failure right now. Right. I think we're talking about the, the scar tissue and the consequences of success. Yeah. Right. And I think I did a lot of things the right way, but I think I did a lot of things the wrong way. And I think on the final episode of your podcast is actually maybe interesting for people to hear like, (laughs) do whatever you got to do, do whatever it takes, but it's on you to make sure you don't cut and run from your own foundation. Mm -hmm. Like we were talking about this, me and you are standing on a floating dock and I'm like, Don, I have no (laughs) friends. I'm like, I have no friends. You're one of the only actual friends of mine who's come to visit me at this house. You live 3000 miles away. There's people who I know have cars <laughs> and live within an hour and I text them and they brush me off. I have no friends. And then like I said, I was telling you, I was leaning on you going, well, this person sent me this fucking email. It was nuts. Yeah. This person, I thought we were going to fucking do this and that and this together. And I literally can't get them to answer texts, you know, like, yeah. and you would agree, I think of like, oh, well, yeah, that'll fuck your head up. Like those are people mm-hmm. you're really close with, but sure, that's on me. It's on me. And then you're. It is there, a two way right? street. Sure. It is. And then I remember I said to you, I was like, does that happen to you? We're like, you know, your friends are your friends while you're working with them and then they're not your friends anymore. And you, got, and you were like, well, no, because I got these like five or six buddies from high school and we've always stayed in touch and leaned on each other. And I'm like, oh, I fucked up. I fucked up. But that's
0: not totally true, though, because I did the same thing with you, did they just, I just checked in with them maybe and were like, do you understand what I'm doing? Meaning, I'm not talking to you as much and I'm not checking in with you as much and I'm not um, thinking about you as much and I'm not caring about you as much. How do you feel about that? I don't think I've ever said that specifically to him. I probably said it in a North Jersey bro way, but at its core, that's what it is. And there was three-year period. I mean, I have regrets about not seeing my grandfather before he died because I was at a fucking improv practice. You know what I mean? So yeah. Uh, what's worth it? What's not worth it? I'm not sure. But I think the relationship thing, I also was almost, I almost pushed you off the dock in the middle of this. It I been, thought it would have been, been so funny. Oh, you were, oh, you were like, you were hot. opening up, you were just, and you were just standing right by the edge. And I was like, I just want to, I'm listening to you, it but been I the had best. that, I had that Don instinct that was like, this would be way funnier though. Um, But I didn't do it, but, but uh, and that is my big regret out of this whole podcast.
1: <laughs> you know what else I'm realizing as you and I talk is is like uh I think and again not always cuz you have a lot of fucking stories that I've heard mm. that reflect a stretch of actual madness. Yeah. I think overall it might be fair to say that when Although I don't know if that's true because when you showed up at UCB, it was because your life, you had, it had been a real fucking disaster.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was still doing cocaine at that point.
1: Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Not regularly, but I would still I snort stuff. Yeah. I don't
1: think you've ever really told me you did a lot of cocaine.
0: I don't think I did a lot of it. I think I just did it socially because I was fucking miserable with my life. And as you said, uh, you know, you were angry and terrified. I go, like, yeah, anger is from being terrified. Always. Always, you know what I mean. But, and I was terrified, but I was didn't want to admit that, so I was just trying to escape it in every way I could. And I was totally lost. It's completely lost.
1: I feel like I have, as we talk, I realize I have a friend from college named Egyptian Mike. Great dude, great dude. Life of the fucking party, and always wanted to include everybody. Lived across the hall from me freshman year, and he reached out to me. He and I have always stayed in touch to a degree. Comes and goes. And he he and I were talking, one of our stretches, we were catching up and he goes, I always wanted to ask you, man, like over the years, like I would get people from our hall back together and I'd reach out to you and try to include you. And you always just kind of brushed it off. And he's like, I just never understood why you wouldn't let me. And I, I remember doing some soul searching on it. I said to him, you know, I think when I started doing comedy, I didn't realize it then but it was an eject button because my my life was getting scary. I mean, I I I was sitting around dwelling on suicide on a nightly basis for some stretches. So I think when I found it, it was like, I got to get the fuck out. And I said to him, you're the best. You've been a great friend to me. And I have kept you at arm's length, but I think there's some, there's a part of me that needs to own up to the fact that I abandoned ship on anything that made me feel that way. And yep. the work helped fill that hole. Yep. But I, exactly. n- I think maybe you were a little luckier in that you had some friends who weren't going to quit on you during that stretch. And, and maybe, I don't know if this is true. Did you, did you allow yourself to lean on them a little bit more? Did you, in your truly miserable stretch?
0: No way. I I, I just escaped, man. uh, I went through the same thing because it was like, I almost had this uh, complex of like, I'm broken, so I'm going to go get fixed. And then when I come back, I'll be better to my friends. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I felt like a broken fucking toy and uh, a shell of a man. And I was putting on this bullshit persona and I felt fake. And then UCB, I kind of found something and I found a home. And it felt right for the first time in my life. So I almost was like, oh, great, I'm going to get better. And maybe it's just a little less version of what you did. But yeah, I would check in with my friends every now and then. I'd still go to parties with them. But I was like, wait, I found something I loved. I'm just going to dive in every fucking week. And now I'm going to do three shows. And I'm going to be up till 1, 2 a.m. So I might not be able to check in with them or see how their girlfriend's doing or see that tough thing that they're going through or... I just kind of was like, I'll be right back, guys. (laughs) You know, I'm gonna be back. I'm gonna go work out, and when I come back, I'm gonna be strong, and I can fight off all our stuff, and I'll be better. I'm gonna be a better person for you. And And you're gonna be so proud of me. You're gonna be so proud of me. I'm doing this for you, which is also kind of bullshit. Yes, because you're doing it for yourself. Yeah, it's your justification. Kind of what you were saying about before, like, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, for all these people, all my friends, all, all the, all my friends, I'm doing this kind of. It's it's bullshit though. It's it's complete bullshit. I was doing it for myself. It was an excuse. But there was a true part of me that was feeling that that what I'm saying is very honest of like, I felt broken. I felt like I found a place that could make me better. And I could I'm just I just told them to hold on a second and I'll be better. But that's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. Because what makes you better is other people right? Like, yeah. I think finding your love and I think we got to stop and go finding your love and your passion and your joy and learning to work as hard as you can in it is very true. I was just talking to Josh Patton about this, about filling up your buckets. He took it from the David Sedaris uh, thing, but like my buckets were way full up. Like I found something I love. I'm going full blast into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then there's collateral damage of relationships, yeah. family, friends. It, it happens, but you're saying, Hey, I went through it all and you know what matters a lot are those fucking relationships yeah. where people know you Absolutely. at your worst and stick with you at your worst. Cause, right?
1: cause I tell you, I mean this podcast is all about exploring these types of things and I want to be mm-hmm. clear. I got a great life. Yeah, yeah. You said it, man. We know. Yeah, I enjoy it every day, mm-hmm. but you know, I just, I'm telling you, Don, I just watched out the window. My wife, left our house pulling our one year old son down the street in a little red wagon. Like I got the I got the best life. I yeah. got this beautiful house. You know, the other day I mowed the lawn and I turn around and I look at it and I'm like, man, I got a fucking beautiful lawn. <laughs> and then I take a breath and I think to myself and, and I, and that's it. I got a beautiful lawn. Yeah. And I earned this, I earned this lawn. Yeah. I wish I had a few more people in my life to invite to come over and play wiffle ball on the lawn, you know? <laughs> yeah. I wish I and, hadn't, I wish I hadn't. Because here's the other thing, because you didn't say this on the doc, but here's my gut instinct, is that you and I have remained as close as we are because you see me for what I am a little better than other people, and I think you know how to navigate it, and I think that you've uh, you've made it a priority in a way that has reminded me to make it a priority. But I feel mm-hmm. like when I'm sitting here going, "I have no friends," that you're probably on that dot cone, like, "Yeah, yeah, I can see that, man. You fucking have acted like a fucking driven maniac for. Yeah, I get it. It surprised me though, but I don't think it surprised you. No,
0: no." Yeah, that's- it's not like it's not like I'm not saying that I'm not surprised that you don't have friends, Chris, because of who you are. It's not that. It's I can understand because I went through something similar on a maybe lower scale about dedicating your life and thinking that this was the thing that would make you happy because it did. You know what I mean? Because let's be honest, it did make you happy. It did feed your ego. It did make you feel powerful when you didn't feel powerful as a kid. It did make you a superhero a little bit. When you were fucking reading X-Men as a kid and you wanted to be fucking multiple, man, dude. Like, it did make you feel those things. You did feel the power. You did feel all that stuff. So I get that. There's just collateral damage when you put your fucking heart into something and something's got to be sacrificed at times. And I think the older you get, the more you learn to balance those things yeah. and, and go, oh, fuck, this was, I had to go through all that stuff. L- this is not a uh, advice fucking show where we go, so those going through it, you know, make sure that, you know what? Like everyone has their own path, but maybe we're maybe someone's listening and is going to reach out to their friend they haven't talked to in a while.
1: I think it's and, really important, man, and to keep those from the start. Maintain those relationships even on a casual level with the people who don't give a fuck about you and your creativity, but they have your back. Maintain those. Because what you just said was so wise because I'm sitting here going, you're right, I did feel all those things as they were happening. But it's like I was chewing food just because it tasted good. It didn't Mm -hmm. necessarily make me feel full. Mm -hmm. you know.
0: So what am I going to do?
1: Just keep shoving fucking food into my face forever? No, at some point I got to fucking slow down. I'm 40 years old. Like people don't really give too much of a fuck anymore. They might again, when I figure out what I have to say and who I have to say it to, Mm -hmm. I spent my whole life talking to the fucking kids with piercings and you know, they don't give a shit anymore. There's (laughs) other like Sarah squirm who I mentioned was great. She speaks to them so much more than I do and they should, and she should. She's fucking great. Yeah. I got to figure out what's next or if anything's next. Well, yeah that's what I was saying
0: like you're at you're at that bottom though that's what I'm saying like enjoy what you have now appreciate it and maybe maybe I'm not not trying to give you advice but it's like when you see your lawn don't think about the people that are not on the lawn just appreciate the lawn for a fuck's sake even though I made fun of your mulching when I got there Uh, it was actually good I knew that would just fuck with you though dude I Um, also
1: (laughs) you're gonna I fucked up my lawn so bad (laughs) of course you did (laughs) I destroyed it completely it's humiliating It's humiliating, dude. Perfect. I I was like, I'm tired of cutting it so often. I'm going to cut it really short, so I don't have to cut it. No, no, you don't do that. It's, I'm telling you, dead. You saw it's a pretty big lawn. It's not huge. Yeah, yeah, it's a lawn. No, it's a good sized lawn. And when you saw it, it was grass. Yeah, it's 100% crabgrass now, overrun by weeds. I killed it. Yeah, you can't do that. I went then. I went to the, um, like, the plant nursery. And they told me yep. there's nothing I can do about it until September. <laughs> like, so I just have to have the shittiest lawn in human history with all my new neighbors.
0: Well, we didn't talk about like when we in, when I interviewed you, man, like you were at the top, then the show kind of goes away. Your book doesn't do as well as you want it to. It's just like, you know, now you can look back and I think like the pot your beautiful anonymous was kind of buoying you through that. I don't know if it was, but it's like it's, it's so best. hard. You have such an interesting Life, I think your work ethic. So, all right, you have collateral damage here, but your work ethic also gave you, made you a living. Meaning, you, you put everything out there. You worked as hard as you could on things. You, you checked off these boxes, and what is left is kind of an amalgamation and a and a, a this kind of derivative core of who you are, right? Like in this podcast, like out of all of this shit, this is what you're left with. So maybe you have a perspective on that, but I don't know you know, what it was like, the fall, there seemed to be like a fallout with all that stuff, with the book, with the show. You seem to not be, I think that's when the friendship stuff started. Like, who's my real friends? Like, and then the self-hatred probably comes into that Yeah, I mean, point it's always as been well. There.
1: But dude, the book is such an interesting thing. Yeah. Cause I think that book missing so hard. Did, was it lose well? Yeah. That missed really hard for you. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't sell. Which seemed to be the most like a very vulnerable book. Well, here's the honest truth, and nobody knows this story, and I can't go into the details. But that book, they they wanted me to finish. They they hired me to write it when Beautiful Anonymous, Berbiglia's movie, the TV show was popping off. Yeah. So we want you to finish this book before the season's done, so we can get it out. Right. So if the show does get canceled, we can still float on all the press the show got. Yeah. And they were a self help company, and I was like. I can't write a book while this show is (laughs) happening. I don't want to really write a self-help book. Yeah. But they were, uh, they were offering me a sizable amount of money. And you know me well enough to know that it's not bullshit. Like I've turned down money a bunch of times, like money and jobs. (laughs) It's true. Like money's not been the determining (laughs) factor for me ever, Mm -hmm. but there was, and I can't go into it.
0: Mm hmm.
1: I'm not sure you might actually know a little of what I'm referring to, but there was some shit. There was some medical shit happening in my life Mm -hmm. that I could not pay for. Right. And I said, for the first time in my life, I'm going to accept money for something that I don't totally believe in. And maybe I can convince myself to believe in it along the way. Maybe I can find the angle. But then I was I was on a clock, had to get it done. And I think I got it like 85 to 90% of where it needed to be. But that 10 to 15% felt, I think like a lot of the people who had followed me forever, I think felt like, all right, the TV show's done and this book's not totally for me. And uh, I don't regret it because it was a choice I really had to make. But I, could, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the first time that I accepted money for something that I didn't fully believe in is when the momentum slipped, the mm-hmm. hardest it's ever slipped. It's not a coincidence.
0: Sure. Yeah, but it, it helped success in a different area of your life.
1: Absolutely. And and I was dealing with stuff that was extraordinarily traumatic mm-hmm. and that, that, and that I needed the money to do it. So it, it was in many ways, it felt like an actual gift from God -hmm. Not to be dramatic, but I mean, you know where my life was at. Like, yep, it's it's totally true. I knew where you were with
0: this, and 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 I totally like when you were saying this. I was like, oh yeah, so yes, so the the product wasn't a failure. It's such a funny thing. This always goes back to like, what the fuck is success? What the fuck is failure, man? Like, what are these words? These words are almost just made up. They're interchangeable at times, which is like, oh, you did something. We it's like easy to step back and be like, yeah, of course that didn't work out. Of course that didn't work out for you, man. You didn't you didn't do the your heart wasn't in the place where the things were that were successful for you yeah. were but on the other side of it it was extremely helpful and almost gave you a different you know like it it enlightened a different part of your life in a way
1: right well, like that, it's wild i mean if the people who followed me over the years had any idea what was going on in my personal life on a very actual real and serious level the entire 3 years we were on cable yeah they'd be i mean it was it was yeah it it was almost impossible to care as much about the work as i would have because there were a lot of scary things to deal with outside of that and i'm not making excuses but again it's just another example of
0: no, I could fully support what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. It was a fucking hard, hard ass time that no one knew about.
1: No one knew about it, and people still don't and but but it ties back to what you're we saying in the beginning of like this show was the tail end of my childhood, yeah. and I'm clearly in adulthood, yeah, and the situations I was dealing with couldn't be more yeah uh more related to adulthood, and it was just like, man stuff feels like it's finally withering away and uh yeah yeah
0: yeah now we're now, and now we're fucking fathers man <laughs> well and i was just
1: gonna say dude isn't that it isn't that the last final fucking thought at the end of the day is like yep i proved everything i wanted to prove i worked with some fucking brilliant comedians, musicians, artists along the way, filmmakers. I represented some shit to a lot of people in a way I'm proud of. I've had mm-hmm. people tell me that stuff I did 10 years ago helped them pull the trigger and go for it themselves. I'm immensely proud of that. I supported a lot of people in their early days who needed help finding stage time, getting attention, paying their rent when I was able to finally do that. Right. I have money I have a house, I have stability. But the only thing that feels, and it's trite to say, but the only thing that I feel no conflict about, the only thing that I don't feel any tumultuousness about is my kid. Yeah, It's the only thing. It's the only thing that I know. Everything about this kid in this situation is right Mm -hmm. and full of peace and worth throwing myself into a thousand percent everything else that I've done over the last 20 years I will have endless questions about did I do the right thing the wrong thing if I did this would it have gone this way this and that but the I'm now at the end of the fucking journey and there's one thing I'm certain about which is that my wife my kid That's success. Mm -hmm. Everything else, I don't know. I got money. Is that success? I don't know. I had a TV show, but it failed. Is that success? I don't know. I've written a few books. The none of them really, none of them were bestsellers. I don't know. Is that success? I don't know. I don't really know what failure and success mean, but what I do know that's the thing. I don't really know what differentiates failure from success. What I do know. Is that I look at my family, and that supersedes that conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: that's yeah, that's it, man. And I, I'll say this: I don't think I've ever said this out loud before. But any doubts I ever had about the path I've chosen in life and what could have went away, it I go it goes out the window because oh yeah, all the choices I made led me to having my daughter. Dude. Do you know what I mean? So it's I the superseding that word hits me really hard because Everything. you're absolutely right it just doesn't fucking matter and I you know what I think that's why I'm ending this fucking thing
1: well it's interesting too because <laughs> you're ending a creative project and I, I'm realizing that like I can't get another one off the ground because some level it's a lack of enthusiasm and some level it's it's a, being a little out of touch and figuring that out but I once heard Letterman say in an interview it's just I was just randomly watching Letterman because I love Letterman. And somebody was asking him about his kid. And they were joking around. And then he just quietly said, well, you know, I kick myself for waiting so long because I didn't even realize that none of the good parts of life begin until you have a child. And uh, I think about that, dude. And you can vouch for me on this. Every choice I made, right or wrong, every relationship I sacrificed, and I do regret it, Here's one thing I do know is my kids life is going to be easier than my life. Mm-hmm. My life was easier than either of my parents lives. Right. I think at the end of the day that's success, right? Like my kids going to go to a much better school than I went to. My kids I think going to deal with a lot less fucking torment than I dealt with. I'm going to make yeah. sure he doesn't see a lot of the shit I saw and if I kick it tomorrow You know, if I, if my fucking brakes fail, (laughs) he's going to be in a pretty good spot, you know, because I got a little money tucked away and I got a fucking life insurance policy and shit, you know, like (laughs) I got him all set up for whatever he wants to do. Yeah. And, uh, I know it's, it's probably a really, people are probably rolling their eyes listening to us say it, but and oh, a hundred percent. It's the one thing I have zero questions about, though. That's what we can
0: honestly say, right? I'm not telling anybody to go out and just fucking have a kid. I'm just saying the the all the doubts when I think about my life choices. I'm so much more at peace because of where I am now, and I had so many doubts along the way. I wanted to give up so many times, but, but I, you know, that the, the, it all led me to. my relationship and and having a daughter.
1: And it might not be having a kid for everybody. It might not be finding a spouse for everybody. Everybody's got their level of fulfillment, but
0: it's finding the thing that supersedes all the bullshit.
1: Yes. Put your work in failure, success, all of it. You're going to have to struggle, do your ups and downs. Make sure they're all aiming at the ultimate goal of a happy life and know that in the moment, A creative life is not a stable life. It's never going to be inherently happy. It's not what you're fighting for. So failure never hurts as much as you think it's going to. Mm -hmm. Success does not solve as many problems as you hope. But both of them exist to help you land where you're going to land. So Mm -hmm. cultivate that place along the way because you want it to be as healthy as it can be when you get there. I fucked up on that a little bit, and I got some rebuilding to do. But I'm doing it. I reached out to Carson. He's gonna come over. <laughs> He's gonna come over yesterday. He had to cancel.
0: Let's end it there, man. I feel like that's such a good way to kind of put a cap in all this. Yeah, I mean, this yeah, was uh, so fun. It was a pleasure. It was so a goddamn fun. pleasure,
1: man. You're the best, dude. That was a good. That was a conversation I needed to have, honestly.
0: I'm I'm always here for you, man. You're the best, dude. Likewise. All right. Thanks, dude. All right. I'll see you. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Chris Gethard. Thanks, Geth, for closing this thing down with me. Uh, Check out Beautiful Anonymous on Earwolf, Space Force on Netflix. Chris Gethard presents on Planet Scum Live. He's going to be in Philly doing some socially distanced stand-up at the punchline september 3rd through 5th so check that out follow geth on twitter at chris gethard i'm gonna take a break from social media i'm not gonna lie i'm not too active on it anyway so bye bye twitter facebook instagram hey thanks to everyone i thanked in my intro once again especially all my guests and to you the listeners thank you so much for taking this journey with me it's been an absolute pleasure and privilege to provide you these stories uh i don't care about ratings and reviews and merchandise at this point so go live your lives I'm going to have all new failures coming at me every day as I journey through parenthood and try to figure out what the hell my career even is. Uh, this is definitely not the end of falling down and getting up and learning and contemplating and moving forward. Uh, I hope you all do the same. Uh, I don't fucking know. Let's go spread love. Be kind to yourself and others. Listen to yourself and others. Help yourself and others. Embrace the wabi-sabi in your life. Dare to fail. God damn it. You're going to be okay. Okay, Joni, any last words? <laughs> could have said it better myself okay that's it i couldn't think of a better way to finish up this podcast by sweating my ass off in my goddamn car recording this shit so for the last time my name's don finelli mahalo your dreams